0: Many people, and including myself, experimented in high school, you know, drank some beer, smoked a little marijuana, maybe tried even something else here and there along the way. But it didn't take over our lives. You know, we were able to easily drop it, become adults, get jobs. But what you don't want to do is assume that for your child that this is a rite of passage because there's way too many of these kids that, you know, it's all of a sudden they are out of control with using
1: the septicis. Reboot's episode R039 features Kathy Taunbaugh. Kathy is a certified parent and life coach. She helps parents of teens and young adults who are struggling with chemical addiction. When Kathy discovered her daughter was addicted to crystal meth, Kathy had no idea what to do next. And then when her daughter kicked addiction, Kathy continued to remain active in the recovery community through coaching, writing, and teaching the craft method of helping families cope. So what is craft? Listen up.
2: Hey there, you're dialed into Reboots, featuring stories about people who have been forced to start over in life or in business, all walks of life, anonymous or named, high profile or low down, stories with heart, soul, and grit, because knowing and sharing our stories is essential for living a life of joy, experiencing healthy relationships, and impacting the world around us in a positive way. Here's your host, Tracy Winchell.
1: Kathy, thank you so much for inviting us into your life. I appreciate the time.
0: Well, thank you for having me. You no, know, I, I really appreciate what you're doing and the work that you're doing, and I'm I'm excited to be here. Thank you.
1: Well, tell us a little bit about what your life and your
0: work are like right now today. Oh, okay. Well, you caught me on a kind of a busy day, but what I do is I coach parents. I'm a parent coach. I work with parents mainly who have either teens, but usually it's young adults and mainly in their 20s and 30s who are struggling with substance use. It could be alcohol, it could be marijuana, it could be meth is another big one, but a lot of what happens is the kids get started on the pain pills or the opioids and then they end up using heroin. So I do have quite a few along those lines and also a few that are, you know, mix and matching. They're just whatever happens to come along. So for me, my day is usually working with parents. It's over the phone. I do individual coaching and then I also do group coaching. I have a membership group, Rise Up Moms Support Club, which is a membership group for moms, And so that's a group coaching experience. And I do interviews, which is fun, similar to this. I do an interview once a month with somebody in, you know, having had experience with addiction or a mom who, you know, has gone down this road with their child, that kind of thing. So, yeah, so that's really my day. So at least once a week, I would do a call with that group. And then during the week, I have different coaching calls with individuals. And then the rest of the time it's, you know, writing blog posts and I try to, I try to get a blog post out once a week and then working on things on my website and that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. Kathy, that's, that's kind of some heavy stuff you deal with is, is walking people through fear and pain. How do you, how do you do that? Does that, I mean, Mm. wow.
0: Yes, it is challenging for sure. And it's a very, you know, it's a hard topic because, you know, it's life it's a life-threatening disease and we all know that people have, you know, lost their lives because of substance use. So for parents, they're in frightening situation where they have discovered, you know, and now we I think sometimes parents go through a period of denial for a while, they're not quite wrapping their head around it. But by the time they've reached me, usually they've been searching online and those kinds of things. So they are clear that their child has a substance use issue and they know that it can be life threatening. So it's challenging. So Really what my work is, is twofold. I I work with parents on skills to take care of themselves, to help themselves feel better, to try to find ways to have more peace of mind, to relax, to take the stress level down. Um, And then the other piece is really working with parents to give them tools and strategies to help their kids change. So those are the kind of the two pieces, but really it's very difficult to do much as far as helping your child until you're in a better place. In fact, I just had an interview earlier with in my Rise Up Moms group, and the acronym of, of the parent being the battleship, not the Skidoo, was mentioned. And I thought that's a great one because you really need to be that strong, steady person who's not gonna get rocked and rolled as the waves, as the you know, storm comes through. You need to be strong and steady and resilient because substance use is something that can take a long time, months and years, to really turn, help turn somebody around. So, yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. Resiliency. I, I may need to come back to that. Mm. That's a powerful word. Mm-hmm. Well, tell me uh, when and where you share your story.
0: Sure. Well, I have a blog, a website, KathyTombod.com, and my story is on there. It's it's been a few years since it's, you know, it's there. You can find it. It's been a while since I've gotten into too much depth with it, mainly because my story, and I I'm happy to share my story right now. Um my story is about my daughter who struggled with Crystal Matthews, and now it's been 13 years ago. So it's been a while um, that she has been in recovery or changed her life. What happened was, is she, I know we noticed that things were not going so well in high school. And again, as, as many parents, I couldn't really quite put my finger on what it was. I mean, cannabis use or drinking was things that I thought, well, that could be it. But I never suspected that it was crystal meth. And that's what we found out later that she was using. But she managed to get herself accepted to to college. She went to University of Colorado and she went there for a year and a half, but struggled from day one. She was really having a hard time. And you kind of, when you send your child off to college that first year, and I know it was my experience too, I didn't have the greatest grades my first semester. I mean, you're new at college. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, things are fun and that kind of thing. So, we were kind of cutting her a bit of slack with all that. But as time went on, we realized that this was, you know, things were not settling down and she was still struggling and finally she dropped out of school and So after two years, she was living back there and she had not come home. I'm in California and she was a few states away in Colorado. So I finally went back there in the summer and she'd come back and forth a few times. But like many of our children, she did a really good job of covering up, you know, making sure that she was functioning when she needed to be, that kind of thing. But she finally did admit that she was using um, when I went back there. And so then we started our our long journey of recovery and really all of us as family members taking stock of our role in this and, you know, how we could better ourselves so that we could be a better help to her and also just move forward in life, you know, in a better way. So I was given the, you know, information to go to an Al-Anon meeting was where I started and she... Did go to treatment. She, you know, we found someone to kind of help guide us because I think this is the thing that's so difficult for parents. You find out the information and then what do you do? You know, it's like, okay, well, now I have this huge problem and I have absolutely no idea how to solve it. We did enlist some help and she went to a wilderness program in Utah and was willing. I'm very lucky that she was willing to go. Um, She did go to that and then she went to a women's program in. Southern California so that was good and she and she really uh, I am I have to say knock on one one of the lucky ones she really kept going forward. I do not know of a time that she really relapsed I think she realized that her life in Colorado was really over her you know she'd had the as they say the bad boyfriend I'm putting it in quotes in that relationship. <laughs> was ending and she really had not made friends back there. I mean, she just really had not done anything. So she was on her own and she, and I think she knew that and she knew that there was really, that wasn't going to be a good way to live. So we were very blessed and very lucky that we, we caught it at the time that we did. And she was at a point when she was really ready to get help. But it was a big transformation. I had been a teacher for many years. So I'd worked with kids, I'd worked with fourth graders um, in my neighborhood school. And I just questioned so much about myself as far as, okay, here I am teaching and guiding parents, getting them ready for middle school and then come to find my own child is using substances. It's just sort of like, okay, there's you know a big disconnect here. So You know What I realized early on is I needed to start my own transformation and to be a better help. I had been a single mom for quite a while. I think at certainly different points in my life, it was really about just putting one foot in front of the other without much attention to anything else. I mean, just getting the kids to school and getting my, you know, I I worked full time and all of that. So you just really have nothing... No real time to have introspection or to reflect or to, you know, think about am I, you know, living my life the best way I could. You're just really trying to get through each day. So initially I was told to go to an Al-Anon meeting, and that was very helpful. I went to several meetings in my area and I found a parent meeting that was helpful. So that was good. And then, you know, it's funny because I know quite a few people who've gone through this with their kids and most people, with any luck at all, they get their kids through it, and the kids make those decisions to live a better life, and then the parents just move on. I mean, you just go on. But for some reason, this just stuck with me. I, I just the more parents I met, the more I felt just so sad. I guess is what it would be about how this is affecting so many of our kids and what it's doing to them and to families. Uh, so it continued to be a big interest of mine. So it was about five years later, I had stopped teaching and I, I was ready for a new project and decided to start a website and a blog about substance use. And initially I just was going to have people come on and sort of evaluate treatment centers they had gone to, that kind of thing. But I realized quick, pretty quickly that that probably wasn't going to be a good way to go. So started blogging and... Um, it, things just went from there. It's, I, I started blogging and then at one point and connecting with other parents and that kind of thing. And then at one point, the Partnership for Drug-Free Kids reached out to me. And if everyone is not familiar with that, it's a nonprofit organization out of New York, a national organization that's been around for decades. And they their mission really is to help with prevention. They really want to spread awareness about substance use and to help families work with their kids to prevent them from getting into this situation, but also now they do a lot of work with parent coaching, with helping families who are already struggling, so I became part of their parent group for a while, and then I decided to become a coach and started my own coach training, and then they also asked me, do you want to, we're going to do a coach training through the partnership as well, would you like to be part of that, and that sounded like a great fit, so That was really a turning point for me. I went back to New York and it was a training with the Center for Motivation and Change. And they are a psychology group out of New York and psychologists who've studied addiction for years and do research and all those kinds of things. So they had partnered with the partnership to do this training of parent coaches. So that's when I learned about the CRAFT approach, which is the community reinforcement and family training and it has some similarities to the Allen on and more, more traditional approaches, but, but then it also has some differences as well. But, Kathy,
1: back up. What is the, the community?
0: What? That's interesting. Yes. It's the community reinforcement and family training. Tell me about that. Yeah. Oh, I would love to tell you about that. I, when I heard it, it, I heard about it. It was like, oh my gosh, this makes so much sense. So CRAFT is a program that helps families Work with them so that they are learning research based strategies and tools to help their child change. So, what's different about that kind of a pr- approach, as far and a, and a traditional approach, is that these strategies have been researched. They have done test groups with them in different areas. And I mean, Oregon's done it. There was a gentleman, um, Dr. Robert Myers in New Mexico, and he was one who actually founded CRAFT, and he, he's done his own research studies there. But to me, what was interesting, and I think the key point for me was that when they did the, the craft studies, which was 12 weeks of working with family groups, they had three groups. One was a 12-step Al-Anon type approach. One was an intervention type approach. And then the third one was the craft approach. And the goal for all of this was to help parents motivate their children or spouses. This could also be spouses. It could be partners as well to get into a treatment program or to willing to get help. So they're working with people who are resistant. They don't want to get help. They maybe are in denial about that they have a problem. After the 12 weeks, what they realized is that 13% of the people in the Al-Anon or 12-step program was able to motivate their children to, or spouses to get help. I believe it was 20% in the intervention group and it was almost uh, 70% in the craft group. So that's a huge difference. Yeah, Yeah, it was a big difference. And when I saw that, I went, Oh my gosh. So one of the things that they want to say is that Al-Anon really is not saying to families, come to the Al-Anon group and we'll help you get your kid into treatment. That isn't really what their goal is. Their goal is really to help parents feel better and get support and that kind of thing. But I do think a lot of parents go to Al-Anon with that intention. That's what they're trying to do. So I think it's important for them to know that it is a great support and you should go there, but just know what you're, you know, you're going there for yourself. You're going there for your own well-being. You're not going there to help your kid get into a treatment program because that's probably not gonna help you as much. And then interventions too can be helpful. The problem, I think, believe, with interventions is that sometimes the kids feel like they're just forced, or the, whoever it is, you know, could be a partner, somewhat forced into a program. And so what they are seeing is that many times they may go, but they may not stay they may go for a week or two and say, no, I really didn't right. want to do this ever. And they may feel resentful and there may right. be some, you know, then you've got relationship issues with the family members because they're they're upset and angry that they were forced into something. So what I like about craft is that it's more of a kind, gentler approach and they teach you communication skills that you can use to talk to your children in a way that I feel is really helpful and things like positive reinforcement, which we all know about, but when it comes to substance use, it wouldn't be something that would come to your mind. Usually parents, their initial reaction is to discipline their way out of
1: yes. you know, the problem.
0: Sure. Yes. So, right. So And sometimes sometimes it's disguised
1: as tough love and sometimes it's mm-hmm. it's just purity anger and the cycle continues. I mean, I'm not even a parent and I see that, right?
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And we've been taught to let go and detach. We've been taught to let your child hit rock bottom or the tough love approach. And when you look at what's happening now and the numbers of people, which is well over a hundred a day are losing their lives with substance use because of overdoses, you don't know where your child's rock bottom is going to be. And it's really now a safety issue as far as taking that Mm. approach. So what we, what, you know, what the craft says is to more lean in that, you know, stay close to your child, continue relationship. It doesn't mean you're agreeing with what they're doing. It doesn't mean you're condoning it and saying it's a good thing. But what it is saying is that, you know, when you lean in and you talk to them and you keep that conversation going in the most positive way as you can, you're going to have a much better chance that they're going to hear you and listen to you and be willing to make some changes. Wow. So, yeah, so that's the craft of it. Okay.
1: I want to back up just a little bit. You talked about when your daughter was somewhere near rock bottom, just right after the discovery happened, I guess, is probably Mm -hmm. a better way to say that. And you said, as a teacher, you
0: started to question yourself. In what way? Well, I think as a teacher and as a parent, I've got this situation at home this shouldn't be happening. I mean, I should have noticed this. I should have, you know, I should have managed this situation. I should have been aware of it and taken steps to correct it. And that for myself, and I think for a lot of parents, you feel like you failed. You failed as a parent. I mean, Mm. this was your most important job you had. And your child is, you know, in a life-threatening situation that's really out of control. And I think that's what's so hard when they get to where they're young adults. Like at that point, my child was 19. But there's that experimental age, you know, time in high school where if all of it, well, I'm just going to speak for myself. If I could go back in time, I would have been a much more proactive and much more proactive of really trying to find out what was going on. I think you just sort of assume things are happening and you don't realize it's really beyond what you're assuming. It's much worse. So,
1: Well, let's go down that road. What What would you do differently today that a listener can maybe benefit from? Maybe they've got a, a preteen and uh, they know that a child has experimented with marijuana. What would you do differently in, say, that situation or another situation like it?
0: Mm, okay. Okay. You know, and the first thing I will say is that there's no guarantees on any of this. I mean, we do the very best we can, but I feel that one of the things that I think I would have done differently, number one, is more communication. Having that conversation much more often with my kids about the dangers of drugs, you know, maybe even showing them examples of, you know, now online, there's quite a bit more that you could you could find but to explain to them what can happen to a person when they when they go down this road and having this conversation over and over and over again once is not enough you know just one time or you know they have you know at my high school I talked to some of the teenagers and I said how often are you having a drug you know drug and alcohol Class and they were like, oh, just freshman year in health, and that's pretty much it. So I think that's another thing would be you know getting involved with parents at the school and really trying to to enlist help so that this is something that's also brought up in the high schools and in the middle schools as far as education as far as parenting. I think you have to very be very proactive when you find your child is using marijuana. There's so you know we can debate it forever if that's. A drug that takes children down that road—it just totally depends. Um, cigarettes can be another one. When you see your child smoking cigarettes, can be an indicator that there's some problems going on. But I would definitely move in with some support for your child. Do it and start with you know things at home, counseling, family counseling. Really looking at some issues that happen to your child. Childhood trauma is one of the big. Factor, risk factors for children that may motivate them to to want to try drugs or alcohol. So often we ask our kids, you know, why are you doing this? What's the matter with you? That kind of thing. And one of the better questions might be, what happened to you?
1: Mm.
0: What happened to you that makes you feel like you need to go down this road? And having that conversation of really understanding what your child's going through. So For my situation, our family, I was divorced from my daughter's dad. You know, we were divorced. And luckily, and I think one of the reasons that she did as well as she did is, is we did come together at that for those critical times. We both went to the counseling together. We got on the same page. We had
1: wonderful.
0: Yeah, it was good. And I think that is key. I mean, you have to come, you have to both step up and put your own personal issues aside and focus on your child and what they need. So that was really helpful. But I think I would have just stepped in earlier. And, you know, I think the assumption too, and I think a lot of parents, we go through this and it's depending on what your situation is, but Many people, and including myself, experimented in high school. You know, drank some beer, smoked a little marijuana, maybe tried even something else here and there along the way. But it didn't take over our lives. You know, we were able to easily drop it, become adults, get jobs. And for many people, that experimentation is a rite of passage. But what you don't want to do is assume that for your child that this is a rite of passage, because many, you know, there's way too many of these kids that it's not, you know, it's all of a sudden they are out of control with using the substances. So I think it's just really doing that work and being proactive and, you know, the denial comes up a lot because I think parents just don't know what to do. If you have to admit to yourself that you've got this issue, then you have to come up with some answers and it's hard, you know, I'll be the first one to admit, it's not easy. Yeah, that was going to be my next question,
1: Kathy, because... When you ask the question, what happened to you that makes you feel like you need to go down this road? I can't imagine asking that question because now then all of a sudden for the the safety and the benefit of your child, now then you're having to go back up and revisit this thing where you start to guess, second guess yourself as a parent. So you're putting yourself emotionally at risk to try to find a a solution where a child feels safe. Is that a fair statement
0: that you're risking your emotional stability there? Right. And you're having to really take stock of your own part in this. And I think sometimes that's real hard for parents. You don't want to, you know, you want to feel like you did the best you can. And most parents do the best they can. Oh, absolutely. And one, yeah, and one thing, you know, I, I do want to acknowledge is that it's not parent, you know, most, like I said, most parents do the best they can. It is not your fault that your child went down this road, but at the same time, it's important to take a hard look at yourself, your situation, what's the situation for your child, what support are they getting, what's going on that could have, you know, what, what is causing pain for them. And really taking a hard look at it. And yes, it's difficult for parents because all of a sudden you have to go, oh, you know, (laughs) maybe there's some things here that are going on that I need to really work on. And I think it's important to have self-compassion too. I mean, we're all human. We're all doing the best we can. And to admit that, yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe maybe I could do something better in this area. Or maybe I could have relationships with my child's father that would be more productive and positive. You know, I mean, there's lots of things to just think about, you know, so... It's not to beat yourself up about it, but it's to really get to the heart of what's going on here.
1: Just be honest with ourselves, right?
0: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So
1: now that I'm, I want to kind of revisit this this thing that you identified as saying, you know, there are really two roles as a coach. And the first is to help parents just cope with all of this this change. And I guess probably to deal with denial and to accept the things you can't change, And then the next piece is then to coach parents to help their kids change. And so I guess we're kind of coming back to that. When you help a parent make themselves vulnerable to save their child, you're also saying, look, in order to do that, you've got to be strong too, right? Absolutely. So what are some of the, the best skills that you teach people to do as they just kind of try to find emotional footing and stability to to kind of go in for the long haul
0: here? Mm, okay, great question. Well we do talk a lot about you know just basic self-care. What you can do to help yourself fill your own cup up so you're not depleted. Because if you're depleted you can't help anybody. You're know, you just exhausted and you're tired. So things like your physical health, making sure you're getting enough sleep, making sure you're keeping up with your doctor's appointments, making sure you're taking whatever medications you need, that kind of thing. Um, And then also a biggie for me is exercise. I think exercise makes all of us feel better. So there's lots of different choices. Just finding something that works for you that you can bring into your life on a regular basis. I think... For all of us, when we have lots of things to worry about, exercise is a great way because you can focus for the that period of time on what you're doing and it gives your mind a break from all that negative shatter that's constantly going on. So that's mm-hmm. one piece. Another thing we talk about is journal writing. I feel like journal writing is something that's very helpful and There are studies that have shown that even if you don't want to be writing every day, if you have something stressful in your life and you write even two to three times a week or even two to three times about the issue with even just a paragraph or two, your stress level goes down. So journal writing to me was very helpful. I never really wrote before, but I just started journaling and journaling and journaling. And what happens is you get all of that stuff that's just swirling in your mind, out of your mind and onto the paper, and it's and it, and it's gone. I mean, you know, before when you're just sitting there replaying, you know, it's like that recording that just keeps going over and over and over. But if you write it down, all of a sudden you find out, okay, that, that that's recording's over with, now it's stopped. So that, to me, is helpful.
1: Yeah. And then you, you can look back on that and go, that was just silly me kind of talking about stuff that's not really there. Or, oh, wait, I need to work on that.
0: Right. Oh, absolutely. And sometimes it helps you find answers, you know, as you're writing, you know, you sometimes find answers. I like the morning page idea from the, oh, Mary, I think it's Mary Cameron, the artist's way. And she just says to write. So for me, that worked. She just says, write in the morning and you just write for three pages, just write three pages and then you're done. And I need that. I need a stopping <laughs> our starting point and a stopping point. Yes. Um, yeah. So for me that's really helpful. And I try to share that idea with with parents to just write for three pages and then you're done. And if you, you know, want to add that caveat of a little gratitude list at the end, that's always helpful. I add just two or three, ten things. Doesn't even have to be, you know, whatever. Five, ten, three.
1: Right.
0: Whatever feels right for you, just a couple reminders that there are some things to be grateful for in your life. Yeah. So that's one that's another one. And then Meditation, uh, working on our spiritual part of our life is, I think, also helpful. So, meditation is something if parents haven't tried it, uh, I think it calms people down. I think it helps you get centered and focused. Now, not everybody is into that, and that's fine. But you can even do just quiet walking is good. Uh, just being quiet, you know, just sitting for a few minutes quietly. You don't have to feel like you're actually meditating, you know, just but just being quiet for you even starting at five minutes. Yes. You know, so I think that's helpful. And it's funny because, you know, when you start doing it, sometimes you go, I can't even, it's challenging to just sit for five minutes. And then you really look at that and go, wow, there's a problem here if I cannot sit. Well, yes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: One of, sure. one of my favorite Uh, meditation apps, and I've tried several, is Headspace. And the Headspace guy, besides having a great accent, I mean, you know, it's kind of hard to go wrong with that. Uh
2: (laughs) Sometimes, when we're meditating and we realize the mind's wandered off, we might not know how to react. In that moment, we pause and identify the nature of distraction. Oh yeah, thinking, or oh, feeling. Having noted, There's a sense of having dealt with it.
1: But he he also encourages the listener to just be kind and say, hey, your mind is going to drift, and that's okay. Just say, hey, my mind just drifted. Now then, come back to what you hear. And for me, it's the ceiling fan.
2: Mm.
1: Or the beat of my heart. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Or the birds outside. And so you're you're exactly right, Kathy. When I can't do that for five minutes, I'm spending way too much time on my phone or listening to a podcast or watching my favorite old TV rerun, like Mash, right now. You know, it's like get <laughs> yes. get get back in your head mm-hmm. and live with it, right? Because ain't nobody else gonna live with
0: it, and you better learn to live with it, right? Absolutely. No, I think you're right. And and I just know how it makes me feel. And I'm not perfect by any means cuz I will go in starts and stops it too, which a lot, of, you know, people do that. But if I can get in a pattern, which I'm in right now of, of trying to meditate every morning, I just feel calmer. You know, you just do feel too. more calmer and sensitive as uh, So those are some things that I think parents, you know, just to bring in to their life. And I think just having that spiritual piece. I, I started taking uh, yoga classes, practicing yoga. That was really helpful for me as well. How does yoga help you?
1: Tell me, kind of, I love to, to ask people to, to put words to the change that yoga makes, that, that physical action mm-hmm. and the mental action or inaction, depending on where you are.
0: Right. Well, and I think that, just what you said is is so much of it. But uh, for me, the poses that you go into, you know, you go into the the studio and then you're all of a sudden you're doing these poses and you have to focus. You have to focus on the pose. You have to pay attention. You have to keep your mind, you know, in one spot. And so it allows you, again, like other exercise too, but to take a break from thinking about other things that or you know, getting frustrated for you. So I like it, you know, just the physical part of it, but also the mental part of it of just focusing and and having that 90 minutes of kind of quiet time of moving your body and using your mind to help you stay focused in the in the pose. And then usually there's a meditation, little meditation piece at the end and that kind of thing. And I had one teacher that for she's not she's retired now but she used to do a whole little talk at the beginning and somebody would say this is like just going to therapy and I would love that because she would just share some things that you know in life that for her sort of a little life lesson each time we went and so that was helpful but i think it helps mind body and spirit for yoga it's just really helpful
1: okay so we've kind of offered some pretty practical tips on how a parent can go about some Mm self-care. And now then, you know, you're, you're, you're beginning to get used to, to the reality that your child has a serious problem and a parent's kind of finding some stability here about, okay, I've got to build myself up and get myself ready for the long haul. What's the next thing a parent should begin to do? Or, in tandem with some of these other things, I guess, is a better question.
0: Right. Sure. Yeah. It's all going to kind of come together, but definitely I think focusing on yourself first, be, you know, the other piece just real quick before I go on is to just, because when you do focus and take care of yourself, you're, you become then a role model for your child who is oh. spinning and not taking care of themselves at all. So that's another one. Hmm. But from, but I think the real next big piece is how you talk to your child. I think for all of us who go through this, as I, as I mentioned earlier, the tendency is to want to just discipline your way out of it. You know, I'm going to ground you, I'm taking this away, I'm doing this, uh, on and on and on. And it just starts a lot of um, defensiveness, trying to confront your child and you know, all that kind of thing. It just sets up for a lot of negative conversations that can really honestly get out of hand. Things can be said that were not meant, um, that are hard to take back, those kinds of things. So I think it's important to have positive conversations and I think to realize too that your child needs some options. No one does well when they're forced into something. It's really better if we could find some options. For example, a parent with a teen or a young adult, you might research two or three different counselors, maybe an outpatient program if you think that's needed, something along those lines, and then give your child that choice here's some choices. Look at, you know, these are what we're going to be doing. So pick one of them that makes sense for you or try all three, and then you can go from there. But I think when the children have some choices in the process, they're going to opt in in a better way. So things like there's a technique called the red light, green light, which is, you know, if you're having a conversation with your child, and they're engaged with you and they're talking with you and and there's some back and forth and it feels positive, that's the green light. So you just keep the conversation going, you're good. But if your child is getting defensive, if they're shutting down, if all of a sudden they're getting angry, yelling, all that kind of thing, you just want to stop the conversation. Do not try to talk through all their negative Reaction because it doesn't help. You know, you end up yelling at each other and it just ends up going nowhere. So that's a first technique that I like to just really try to keep the conversations positive. Another one is to acknowledge what your child is doing well. One of the things that I think we do fall into too when our kids use substances is that all we're seeing is this awful negative stuff. He's using drugs. He's, you know, there's nothing going right, that kind of thing. But when you step back for a minute and say, okay, Yes, he's using drugs or she, and it isn't good. We're not saying that it is. We're not condoning it. Yes, it's not great. But what are some things that your child is doing well? It's actually surprising sometimes the the many things. Like I had one mom who was so negative about her child. And then we started having the conversation. She's like, well, yeah, he is actually really great with his siblings. He does chores at home. Um, His grades really aren't that bad. You know, she started naming all these things and it's like, okay, well, this is where you're going to build on. This is the ground, the foundation, or those positive things. And you're going to go from there. So those are the things you want to acknowledge. You want to start looking at what they're doing well, paying attention to what they're doing well, be honest. And we don't want to be a cheerleader for just you know, making things up, that kind of thing. But you want to be honest and authentic. And when your child does something well, you want to take those opportunities to let them know that. Another big piece that we talk about too is positive reinforcement which I mentioned earlier too and that can be in the fact of being in the way of verbal communication you know just saying good job or i really appreciate how you did that that kind of thing but it can also be in rewards like rewarding your child taking them somewhere having a special meal for them finding things that they really would appreciate not something that the parent wants them to do, but something that they (laughs) want to do, which is easy to fall into that. But, you know, if they have a certain sport they like or anything like that, you know, but looking at what they're doing well, because most of these kids have a very hard time telling themselves, even if they don't acknowledge it to you, they feel the shame of what they're doing. They know that this is not, you know, a good path to be on. Yes. And they may not want to admit it, but especially if you start confronting them, they're going to get defensive. So it's better to look at what they're doing well, focus on that, and start the momentum of rewarding them, acknowledging them, that kind of thing. And then the other side of that is really making sure also that you're allowing your child to take responsibility for their actions. So you're not going through, like if you're a parent of a teenage, you're not running around fixing everything for them. Like, oh my gosh, he slept through class. I'm going to, you know, make up some excuse for the teacher. No, you let the child face the consequences of their actions. And it's a, that's a hard one for parents because you don't want to see your child's life get ruined. And let me just say before I'm going through that it, safety definitely needs to be in place here. So you're going to use your common sense and make sure your child's safe. But beyond that, you're going to think about, am I doing too much for my child? Am I running in to fix everything for them so that they don't have to face any consequences of you know, the situation they're in? So that's something that we know we work on too, is, is really looking at that.
1: And then that becomes a, a really important place and reason for the parent to be in some sort of community, whether it's Al-Anon or something else, so that they mm-hmm. understand the difference between
0: fixing and supporting, right? Absolutely. No, I totally agree. And I think Al-Anon is great with that. I think they're really clear on setting boundaries and um, not doing too much, you know you want to reach in and be have the connection with your child, you know that communication type of a connection with your child. but you don't want to go in there and start solving all their problems for them or covering up for them or if they have a job calling the boss for their your child because they can't get up to go to work. I mean those things are just not helpful right. because it's teaching your child that there's no downside. And they have to have a downside for them to want to mo- be motivated to change. For sure, and it's all—I will say—it's hard. None of this is easy, and it does take time, and it's a lot of trial and error. You know, the other thing that I do really like about the craft approach too is that what they—they say is that every situation is different. So it's—we're not putting our kids into a cookie-cutter approach of you know, there's one solution, everyone has to follow this protocol. We're really stepping back and looking at what is going on for this child. Everyone comes to substance use for a different reason. Mm. There are similarities. There are things that are the same, but there are many things that are different. And our kids have different needs. It's like if you had diabetes or cancer or any other disease, everyone isn't given the same medication. They're given the medication that they need and the help they need right. based on who they are and what they're body needs. And that's the same with addiction. Everyone has different needs with this. So it's important to be aware of that too.
1: Well, and what an amazing opportunity that technology brings us to to find a coach like you to be an added team member. Because I, I can see how that would be incredibly valuable, but I can guarantee you there are some listeners at this point And they've been asking, so when do I need a family counselor? And when do I need a coach like Kathy?
0: Mm. That's a good one. You know, I think a counselor's coaching is different from counseling. Um, Coaching, yeah. So therapy is more those deep emotional issues. And sometimes too with, with some of these young people, there's very clear mental health issues such as schizophrenia or bipolar some of those things and also the family dynamics if there's a lot of deep emotional issues within the family i think therapy is probably a more appropriate step but coaching what we can do is take you from where you are and move you forward into a better place you know into a more hopefully you'll feel better and hopefully your child will be in a better place you know, I think you just have to look at your own situation and see what the needs are. And some people do coaching and therapy. Honestly, I've got some clients that are doing both, you know. So it just depends. Um, or some people have done therapy for a while and now that they're going to try coaching. So Right. But we don't, as a coach, I don't get into the deep, deep emotional issues. And if there are some really deep-seated things, maybe from childhood issues or some things that really need some, some more clear therapy. That's, you know, there's the difference there.
1: And, Mm -hmm. and I, I want to also give you a, a chance to explain you're highly trained as a coach. And there are a lot of people right now who will launch a website, start a blog and a podcast, and they'll say, I'm a coach but you're different. Explain the difference in what somebody needs to look for in a no kidding coach for situations like this or anything for that matter.
0: Mm, Right. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Yeah. Coaching's not really so regulated these days. So it is, is difficult, you know, and I started out, you know, I took a coaching class and then I just thought, Hmm, I never really felt great about it until it was just very much at the beginning I decided I really wanted to join the International Coach Federation, which is really the largest body of coaching regulation that there is out there. And I just felt like to be professional, as professional as I could, that's the place that I wanted to be. So I went that route of taking, you have to take classes that are approved by the ICF and one of the classes that I took that was very helpful was a, parent, a certified parent coach training class. So that's what we worked on was how to coach parents, and that was very helpful. So I am what was called ACC, which is an associate certified coach through the ICF, And I am actually in the process now of working for my next... There's three levels. There's the PCC and then there's the MCC. And really it's about having hours. I have hundreds of hours of coaching parents that you need really before you can even get that. You you need at least a hundred to sign up. So that's something that parents, people should know. It's not like being a coach that you've coached one or two people, but you really have had to put some time and effort into it. Um, And then I've also gone to three trainings with the Center for Motivation and Change, the craft. I've gone to a training with Dr. Robert Myers and his program, and I've gone to New York twice and done training with the Center for Motivation Change on the Mm. craft approach because I just really feel like that was helpful and was going to be what I wanted to use in my practice. So,
1: What's the number one thing that you get out of all of this preparation and going back to the start of our conversation where you have some tough conversations and you know, you deal with people who are at the end of their ropes. So where do you find the satisfaction and peace um, and enjoyment out of doing this?
0: Mm. Well, I do find it very rewarding. I think for me, when I first started out, the whole thing was very confusing. It's like, okay, I've got this big problem and I have Mm. no idea what I'm doing. So, my mission, I think, in some part is to help parents not have that confusion, um, to be able to say to them, look, there's you know a 12-step program, probably an Al-Anon group or Family recover Anonymous. There's a number of different ones that you could choose from. And then there's also this craft piece that I think is really as- essential. And one of the approaches I'm kind of going towards now is more of a patchwork, like pick from the available resources that, that you see to find out what's really going to work for you. So, for me, it's just rewarding to help parents kind of find a way through all the confusion because it it is it's It's very overwhelming. Sure. Um, yeah, I've developed some great relationships. I mean the you know, the moms in my group are wonderful, many of them have been in there from the day one, and some of their kids are recovered, but they just like to be part of the group, and um, wow. yeah, it's nice. I know it's great. Um, One one of them has gone on to be a coach. Actually, two of them have gone on to be coaches. No way! Um, Yeah, so it's really wonderful, yeah, that they've taken that on and are giving back in that way. And I've met so many interesting people through this whole process. You know, the partnership, I've met some different people, the Center for Motivation Change. I really like the psychologists that are there. I I have complete trust in them. I just feel like what they're saying is what I want to be part of. And then so many of the parents, you know, so it's just been rewarding on a lot of different levels. You know, it's just a mission that feels like it's funny. I mean, things happen in your life and it's all of a sudden, okay, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. So Mm. yeah, it all happened for a reason. And like I said, I don't wish it on anybody. I Mm. hope that parents can go through this without having to deal with it. But for me, I always feel like when there's adversity, if you can take something away from it and learn from it and make your life better from it, then you can turn it into a positive situation. So I'm hoping that that's what I've done with this. I feel like that's what where it's going with this. And, you know, I'm very blessed. My daughter's doing well and she's taken away her lessons too. And she's, mm. I'm sure we'll never forget all that she's learned through that whole right. experience either. So, so it's all good.
1: Wow. <laughs> I've learned so much, Kathy. Thank oh. you so much for your time. Where does someone listening, get in touch with you or find out more information about what you have to offer and maybe get on your email list so that they they get to to learn more from you and about you.
0: Sure. My email, well my website is Kathy and that's with a C. So it's and I'll spell it because it's Tonba, which is a long last name and probably I should have thought about that before I did this, but it was Kathy C-A-T-H-Y. And then my last name is Tawnba, bon, and that's T-A-U-G-H I-N B as and boy a U G H dot com. And I used to be treatment talk. So sometimes if people put that in, it comes up too. That was my initial website. But I do have a 16-part free email parent class that people can sign up for. It's short emails. It's not too overwhelming. And then there's links to some different articles that I think are helpful. So that's there. And then I'm giving off two free guides with that as well on some tips to help help you with worrying and also some parent recovery tips is the other guide. So that's well, yeah. And there's free articles that are there. I also have a free Facebook group, Parents, uh, Parents of Children Struggling with Drugs or Alcohol. And that's on Facebook. You can find that as well. So then I'm on lot, most of the social media sites. I'm on Facebook and Twitter and Pinterest and LinkedIn and what's the other one? Instagram. Yep. So you can find me all in those places too.
1: You've sent me the links, and so I'll have those in the show notes so that okay, people will be great. able to access those very, very easily. Did, did, I, right. did I forget to ask you anything, Kathy, that you just we, we needed to share?
0: No, I think you did a great job, Tracy. No, I think you've covered it. Good. No, I think it's great. And yeah, and I, you know, as I say, I think it's, for parents, it's, it's really a scary process to reach out for help. So I just urge people to just, you know, push yourself, just reach out. Even, I offer a free call. You can always just have a call that there's no financial obligation with that too. People just want to have a call and just chat and see, talk about their situation. And that's an opportunity too. So I'll yeah. I bet
1: that's really helpful.
0: Yeah. I hope yeah. so. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you, Kathy, so much. I appreciate your time.
0: Oh, absolutely. I can't wait to share your story. Okay. Well, thank you. And thank you for all the work you're doing. It's a great podcast. So this is all good stuff. <laughs> if
1: you're navigating addiction in your family, Kathy would like to provide a fistful of resources at KathyTonbaugh.com forward slash Guide. There's a link to a whole lot of stuff, including the organizations we talked about during the interview, the Partnership for Drug Free Kids, the Center for Motivation and Change, the Community Reinforcement and Family Training or CRAFT Method, and the International Coach Federation. Now, if you're having trouble spelling Taunbaugh, that's okay. You're going to find a link to Kathy's site and all of these things at therebootspodcast.com, episode 39. That's rebootspodcast.com forward slash episode 39. You're going to have access to a whole bunch of stuff, like I said, including a free email course that Kathy is providing access to a Facebook community of parents or children of children struggling with drugs or alcohol. And this may be the most valuable piece and the most generous piece. Kathy will get on a phone and talk to you. If you're a parent who just needs to talk through the next steps. Thank you, Kathy. You're doing such important work. If you don't want to miss another episode of the reboots podcast and you're interested in navigating change in your own life, visit rebootspodcast.com forward slash change. I'll send you a couple of my favorite daily habits that have helped me adjust to changes that I've decided to make or that were made for me. Hey, I'm Tracy Winchell. We'll see you next time. Deo Valente.
2: We hope this episode has helped you in some way. If so, we'd love to hear from you. Maybe someone you care about might benefit from the Reboots Podcast. It's easy to share from our website, rebootspodcast.com. The Reboots Podcast is a production of Winchell Storyworks Incorporated, a company dedicated to helping businesses and individuals know, share, and live their stories in order to impact the world around us in a positive way and to achieve financial freedom.